The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. He is risen. Yes, he is. We're going to celebrate that today, and it's, I'm, I'm just so excited to be part of that here. Um, Welcome to our Easter service. We have a couple of announcements. And uh, first of all, we have a baby in our midst, a new baby uh, by the name of Owen Gunther Renz. So congratulations to the Renzes. Uh, yeah, celebrating that. Uh, just so exciting. Um, secondly, if you have a question about babies, specifically baby dedications, um, you can talk to Kevin here. Um, we're going to have another baby dedication here in a little while. So if you want your baby to be part of that, uh, or you just have questions about the whole thing, you can talk to Kevin about that. Um, and, um, as we, you have probably still seen outside, uh, we do still have the tree up for the, uh, um, Ukrainian, um, prayer and, um, uh, yeah, situation in, uh, in Ukraine. And uh, we are now going to be accepting gently used household items for the Ukrainian refugees that are coming to Canada uh, that we want to be helping and come alongside of as they're um, coming into Canada. So if you have gently used household items that you would like to donate, please uh, call the church and we will make sure that uh, you can drop them off during office hours. Uh, I just want to keep it short. We're, we're going to uh, take a moment to pray, and then we're going to continue uh, in music as we're worshiping our mighty God. Father God, thank you so much this morning as we get to remember what happened on the cross and in the garden two days later, three days later. God, thank you so much that it, the story didn't end on Friday, but Sunday came. And we are so grateful that we got to witness, that we get to witness today, 2,000 years later, we get to witness to a risen Savior. Father, we want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we get to do that in person, right here, right now. And we glorify your name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Would you stand with me, please, as we read our scripture today? Our scripture reading is from John 20, verses 1 to 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to, toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, 
and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. He must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where to her Mary. She turned and looked at him and said in Aramaic, Rabone, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do the Father, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to them and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that she had said, he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. My friends, this morning, uh, the, the passage of scripture that we already heard Lorraine read, that's the scripture that is, is the backbone of everything this morning as we celebrate together. The, the experience of Mary Magdalene, and particularly when she says uh, to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Uh, this morning, as we worship, we're going to be exploring that in a number of ways. Pastor Terry is going to be preaching the sermon from that passage. And also, in a few minutes, we're going to be hearing from Lee and from Garrett, and they're going to be sharing their faith stories, and, and telling all of us how it is that they have seen the Lord in their own life. And I invite us to think that way as well as we enter into worship just now uh, to, be, to be prayerfully and worshipfully reflecting on how it is that we've experienced Christ because he's the risen Lord and we have relationship with him now if we put our faith in him and how it is that we've been seeing Jesus in our lives. And uh, we're going to enter into worship with that in our minds. I invite you to stand up and let's sing together. Today we celebrate that we have seen the Lord and we keep seeing the Lord. He continues to work in us. He continues to work around us. And as we pursue him, as we pursue him in his word, we get to know him more and more and more. We're going to be hearing this morning from some friends who are relatively new to our church and who are also uh, pursuing membership in our church. And that's Lee Henry and Garrett Knutson, and I'm going to call them up just now, and they're going to share their stories with us. God bless you guys as you share. All right, come on. My faith story goes back as far as I have memories. I was raised in a Christian home with large extended families on both sides, all attending the same family of churches. Although I didn't realize it as a child, 
I'm grateful for my family having introduced me to Jesus and raising me to be disciplined in following the word. Since I was old enough to comprehend, I believed in God and his existence and that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. As a teen, I struggled with feeling as though I was going through the motions, attending church, and doing what I was supposed to do. However, it didn't feel fully authentic to me at the time. Perhaps this could bear witness to the significance of Philippians 2, verse 13, when Paul writes, to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I realized at some point that my faith needed to be my own and not something passed down to me from my family. While growing up with the church was a big part of my life, another big part of my life was hockey. This passion would take me away from home and to other provinces, and I had lived with several billet families in different towns and cities. I noted that there were no local churches that I had identified with at the time, so my, my commitments were either to hockey or to helping out my current billet family. I was happy, but a persistent feeling that something was missing in my life was beginning to develop. However, I didn't pick up on this quickly at the time as I was busy with life's commitments. Eventually, I would be traded to a hockey team in Lloydminster, Alberta. By this time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go. This persistent feeling that something was missing was causing me to reconsider. I had thoughts of just driving back to Manitoba instead. Maybe I just needed some familiarity again. But I came to a realization that it wasn't familiarity that I needed. It was commitment and fellowship to a church family that I was missing. After a few phone calls, I learned that my former youth minister had taken a job in Lloydminster and his family became my next billet family. Perhaps this was God working in my life at the time. I was able to find connection and fellowship while attending a church there. Hockey was going well, and in the springtime when I was 19 years old, I was baptized back in Manitoba by my dad. Following my baptism, I became involved in the church back in Lloydminster and took on several leadership roles. It was a small congregation, so having another person around to take on various roles was helpful to the church, as well as a great learning experience for me. I stayed there for about five or six years before eventually moving back to Manitoba. Soon after my return home, I met my now wife, Lee, and we began dating. Early on in our relationship, I went on a mission to Benito Juarez, Mexico, on a school building mission trip. This was a memorable experience, and I was grateful to be able to put my learned trade skills to use as part of the team. On this trip, someone in our group made a comment that it was exciting to see what happens when like-minded Christians work together. And while this is true, it troubled me to some extent. I felt there was a, a significant difference in mindset between myself and this man. It was here, I believe, an incorrect mindset of mine was revealed to me. In John 3, Jesus prays for all believers, those who believe in Jesus, uh, to be brought to complete unity, and this unity is how the world will know Jesus. I'm thankful to my older sister for challenging my mindset. When I was growing up, I had somehow come upon a belief that the church I was raised in was the correct church, and that other church doctrine was somehow flawed. My sister had been raised the same as I, and she had struggled with that mindset as well. I'm grateful that she took the time to discuss this with me and showed me that the body of God's believers is far bigger than this small group of people that belong to that church. She also showed me that, or how this mindset was limiting among God's people, and how I was actually passing judgment on others. I realized the error in the way I had been thinking, and therefore limiting myself.
In January 2020, my wife and I attended our first service here at White Ridge. We'd been listening online prior to that and finally decided to go in person. We were able to begin serving in the church and quickly became part of Wednesday night's Come to the Table to serve others in the church. We felt very connected based on the welcoming people and the sermons which challenge us. We often felt as though the sermons were meant for just our ears. Proverbs 27:17 is a meaningful verse for me. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Having met so many great men, women, and leaders is part of what draws me to this group of Christ followers. I believe that commitment to my church family will draw us closer to the Lord, and within my marriage, my wife and I will grow together in faith. With the love and support we feel at White Ridge, we look forward to being able to find our place as we serve the Lord together. A lot has changed in regard to my mindset over the years, and I'm thankful to the Lord for the people I believe he has placed in my path to help me along the way. As I draw nearer to God, I have felt his direction guiding me and changing me. I find encouragement from 2 Corinthians 3 and that I will continue to grow and change as I seek the Lord. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Good morning. So my memories from before I knew Jesus were not many. Some of my earliest memories as a young girl were of my mom taking me by the hand and praying with me, both of us on our knees, either in my room or kneel kneeling on a chair in our family room. As a small child, my mother told me about God and that Jesus loves me and that I would never have to be afraid, that he died for me and for that we would thank him. I had a small family, just myself and my sister, and my mom and my dad. We grew up on a grain farm where my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I guess I would describe my father as an agnostic and a very vocal one at that. My dad was a wonderful father and I knew he loved me very much. However, his views and my mother's views about God and religion differed vastly. And this was one of the earliest forms of tension that I remember in my home as a child. Although my mom would almost daily read something from the Bible to me or recite a verse she thought I should hear, she would so often quietly remind me of 1 John 4.4, just before I walked out the door to go to school. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, she would say. It wasn't until I was about eight years old that we first went to church. This caused a great argument between my parents, and I remember being angry and torn between both my parents' views. But inside of me, I was sure my mom was right, and I felt curious, and I wanted to know more about church and God. So my mom, my sister, and I started to attend church. I would now be able to go to a Sunday school, youth group, and Sunday services up until my teenage years. And at this church, I was baptized at the age of 12, and I hold many, many memories of my time there. But perhaps because of my upbringing, my perception was that things were either black or white, with no room for error, and that one had to be strong and do things on your own, just as my mom was tough and took a stand against my dad to take us girls to church on her own 
despite it being a very difficult decision. I believe this is why, when I reached my teenage years, my whole belief system was challenged when I started to face real decisions of my own, as well as others' decisions from those outside my family. Decisions that could be hurtful from people from whom I thought I trusted because they were church family. In my wrong thinking, these were people that were not supposed to hurt you or disappoint you. And I feel at the time, I could not make sense of this, being around 18 years of age or so. So I did what I knew how to do to protect myself, be strong, and do what you need to do. I decided to leave the church. There must be something wrong, so I need to do this on my own, I thought, which meant believing in God on my own without the church. I decided I would just need my friends to spend some time with and have God in private. And that is how I tried to live my life for over a decade. I did try some churches along the way, here and there, but I didn't ever feel connected enough to stay for long. So I felt it was always just me doing God on my own and living my life as best as I could, but I was always searching and something was missing. In my 20s, I lost my dad to a tragic accident and I suffered a huge loss with his passing. He was a loving father, especially because I was not certain where his heart was with the Lord. And that was extremely troubling for me for a very long time. After I got married in 2016, my mom passed away suddenly and shortly after our wedding within a couple weeks. And I eventually fell into a very low time in my life. And I felt a sense of loneliness greater than I ever had. But I thank the Lord for my mother's words and her example that stays with me even after she has passed from this earth because I now knew more than ever that I needed to go to God. I needed a Jesus to lean on, and I needed fellowship with others at a church. I needed a church family. I just didn't know where to start. Relief did not come instantly for me, though. I began to surround myself with the word, and I read it every day as my priority. I was feeling isolated, and it was the only place I knew to go. I came across this first one day when I was feeling very down, as I was staring at the words on the page. But it felt as though the words were alive as I read them, and I clung to it as my prayer and as God's promise to me. And that verse was Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord, and they'll put their trust in him. Something changed after I read this. It wasn't instant, but I felt there was a beginning of something new. And I saw myself in this verse, and I held on to this as a promise. And it took time and faith and perseverance in the word and in prayer and trust in God. But today, as I look back, I know to trust in God's timing, his purpose, and his urgings, and that they may not always be what I had planned. In late 2019, my husband and I started listening to sermons online from White Ridge. 
We often drove by the church and we felt curious about this place. Once we started listening online for several months, we were certain we had to investigate and we made a, the decision to attend in person. And we attended on the first Sunday of 2020, just two months before COVID-19 would shut everything down. We will never forget this Sunday. This particular service was won by Terry Jank, and I remember this really nice man who sat down beside us and introduced himself as Doug, which was comforting as we, know we didn't know anyone here at the time. So as we listened to the sermon, I could not shake the feeling that God had wanted my ears to hear this message in particular. When Terry said, you can't just have Jesus to yourself, you have to have church and his people too, I had to keep my jaw from dropping. For so many years of my life, I've been doing the exact opposite, not even really realizing what I was doing, but also what I was missing out on. For the Bible tells us to not give up meeting together, but to encourage one another. And this is what I was missing. I've come a long way with my relationship with Jesus since my childhood knowledge of him. Some say you come to know God more through your trials than through only the good times. And I believe there is truth to this, as I have experienced this truth in my own life and through my own trials. I now have new insight regarding a verse in Psalms 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. I'm ever, ever thankful to God for how out of his love, he grabs our attention and he guides our steps back into his will. I recently read an article by author John Piper about how God's love, about God's love and how God's love is not always about sparing us from suffering, but God's love God loves us mainly by giving us himself. The article goes on to say, please don't measure God's love for you by how much health, wealth, and comfort he brings into your life. But measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows you. I often remind myself of this as I go through trials or difficult times. And now I've come to know the Lord as a friend and my guide, a comforter, a father, a savior, and I've learned that if you let him, God meets you where you're at in your life. Although it can be easy to drift and forget all he has done, I know that continually seeking the Lord is the only way, and I strive for this as a daily way of life. But it takes commitment. I'll finish with a verse from Psalms that renews my hope. And it's Psalms 27, 13 and 14. I remain confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Lee and Garrett, thank you so much uh, for sharing. Um, just, uh, I just am so grateful to God. We, over the last two years, are meeting more people that have found our church family, as you did. And uh, we're just grateful because uh, God just keeps showing us incredible people that love the Lord and, and we get to walk with. So I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to getting to know you guys. 
I want to just read a poem to you to start my message. It was written in 1960, and it might be a little bit uh, challenging to, to follow, but uh, I'm just going to read it. I think it really speaks, and uh, we're going to get it up on the screen. Here we go. It was written by a man named John Updike. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was his body as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindled, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent, it was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with met metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of early ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome this glad day in faith. We welcome it, O oh God, and we celebrate your risen Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every bit as real right now as we are in this room. O oh God, roll away the stone from our hearts, Lord, that we might be witnesses of deeper things. Awaken our spirits with your resurrection power this morning and let the word come incarnate and be living. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as Kevin has mentioned, we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene's words, I have seen the Lord. It's the message title this morning. And I want to read to you uh, a quote from a pastor named William Willimon who had shepherded churches longer than even I have. <laughs> he said about Easter this. He said, faced with a story so demanding, the church has got to stop what it's doing and listen. Allowing this story to have its say. Most preachers are careful not to tell the same story twice. This one we repeat every year. The past passion recreates us as a people of the cross. Without this story, I fear that my church would morph into just a club of like-minded congenial folks 
But Holy Week keeps us from making the church anything we like. And after 50 Holy Weeks as a preacher, I am still amazed and intimidated by so true a story. My ministry shall end before I've ever exhausted its meaning. <laughs> I love that quote. This story of Easter is so incredibly true and real. And we do not apologize for repeating it every year. It's historical truth. It's biblical message. It's faith. It's all central to what we believe. And both the cross and the empty tomb are our one story. They are the seamless tunic of Christ. They cannot be separated. Both the literal physical dying of Jesus on Good Friday and the literal bodily resurrection of him on Easter Sunday are foundational. One author named William Coffin said, anybody can preach on Good Friday. Read the newspaper, but it takes a gospel preacher to clench the fist and shout, Hey, world, he's risen whether you want it or not. <laughs> That's the truth of the resurrection. And one of the convictions that we have as Christians is that the resurrection appearances aren't done. It's not over. It keeps on happening. I mean that in two ways. Number one, of course, we believe that there is the second coming of Jesus Christ that we await. And the scriptures bear witness to that over and over again. But, but even before that second coming, I mean that, that there is the opportunity for each one of his followers to meet the risen Christ in the word of God through his spirit. That was the focus of last week's message, that the living word becomes, the written word becomes the means of which knowing the living word, like that old hymn, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord, my spirit pants for thee. O living word. And so, like Mary in John chapter 20, we're going to, to seek this morning to have an encounter with the living word, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. You know, it's interesting that just a uh, hundred years or so after the resurrection, a, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher by the name of Celsus was very uh, big opponent to the early church and to the message of the gospel. And he complained in one of his letters that everybody saw Jesus die, but only a crazed woman and a few fanatics saw him alive again. Interesting. And indeed, every year, someone asks the question of why the risen Christ didn't appear to somebody else, like Pilate or like Caiaphas or somebody else that would make a difference. Surely, that would have cleared up a lot of misunderstandings, but of course... We don't know that it would have changed anything at all. Indeed, they had heard many of the miracles. They had witnessed in his death the darkened sky, the earthquake, and even some people that had been raised to life that day. Jesus did appear to many people, in fact, 500 at one time of his followers. Scriptures account for that. And then he was taken up to heaven. And we, we who believe that he is the risen Christ, are left with the opportunity of bearing witness, of continuing this message to share the living word with the world because of the encounter that we have had personally. Not simply based on the apostles' testimony and teaching, but on our own. John Stott said that the transformation of the disciples 
after the resurrection was the greatest single evidence of the resurrection. They went from being dejected, fearful, doubting, grieving band of loners hiding out in a room to being a bold, believing, joy-filled group of people ready to take on the world, ready to live or die for Jesus. And so this transformative event in their lives can be ours. Jesus found them in fear and he left them in peace. He found them in grief and he left them in joy. He found them in doubt and he left them believing. And he can do the same for you. And he wants to do the same for you in your fear and grief and doubt. Now, many of you have probably seen the show that's a TV series of the life of Christ. It's got three seasons. We're waiting for the third to come out. It's called The Chosen. And the woman that plays the part of Mary Magdalene is a woman by the name of Elizabeth Tabish. She's from Texas. She's an actress that got the part, and I like the way she carries herself through that description of that woman that lived 2,000 years ago and followed Jesus, Mary Magdalene. To guide us into a deeper understanding of how we can have our encounter with the living Christ and how we can be a witness, I want to follow what the scriptures teach about Mary Magdalene on that first resurrection Sunday or during her whole life, whatever bears witness. We're not going to follow speculation this morning. We're not going to look at fictitious sources like the Da Vinci Code or something like that. We're going to look at what the scriptures bear witness to about this woman called Mary Magdalene who gets front row center on resurrection morning in John chapter 20. What we know from Mary Magdalene or what we know from the scriptures is that she was from a small city on the western uh, shores of, of the Sea of Galilee. It's called Magdala. And uh, there she was born. There she grew up. Somewhere along the way, she met Jesus. According to Luke chapter 8, it's likely because she was demonized by seven different evil spirits. And Jesus... delivered her and she could never be the same she began to be a follower of Jesus in fact she appears with the women along with the apostles over and over again she's mentioned she traveled with them she was taught by him she loved him and she would do anything for him she was present at the crucifixion and she was the first one on the resurrection morning to witness the stone was rolled away and folks, that's pretty significant because in that culture and at that time, a woman was not even a credible witness of anything. So if there was a conspiracy to cover up, Christians would not have chosen Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> and so, what do we read in John chapter 20 on that first Easter Sunday morning? I want you to know that like all Christ followers... Mary went to the tomb in grief. She was grieving that the Savior she had followed had died. And the first thing that we read in this scripture in John chapter 20, verse 1, is on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The first thing I want you to note is that Mary arrived early and she stayed late. 
<clears throat> you'll notice in chapter 20 and verse uh, 10, the disciples left. Mary stuck around, verse 11. The first thing I see in this scripture is that Mary arrived early and she stayed late. Who does that? Who does that for a hockey game? Who does that for a concert? Who does that for people that you're going to visit because they've invited you over for dinner? You arrive early and you stay late because you like those people. You want that concert. You're a fan of that team. That's who arrives early and stays late. <clears throat> Do you know, I was thinking this morning, and I just will share this. Almost 10 years ago, on August the 26th, 2012, we, the church family, were on this property. Back in that day, we had an annual event called Worship by the Lake. We would set up a stage and we would set up some tents and we would set up a sound system and we would come and we would worship by the lake in the hope that one day we're going to build a building. And on that particular morning, back in Kenora, my dad was dying. The boys waited till my sermon was done. And then, then they came to me and said, Dad, you need to go. So I got into my 1987 Ford Ranger that my dad had lent me after getting back from Bolivia. And <clears throat> I drove to Kenora all the way asking God, what could I share with him? Now, dad had an incredible finish to his life. I saw God restore things that had been out of whack in his faith and in his marriage and so on. And I got there and I arrived early. Dad was still alert. I spelled my mom off that evening and he was still awake and alert. I could read the scriptures. I could talk. We could pray. And around midnight, he was no longer responsive. And all night, he wasn't. And then around 5 a.m., the nurse said, I think it's close. I phoned my mom. I phoned Pat. I phoned my sister and her husband. And, and uh, just before all of them got there, I, I witnessed my dad breathe his last And just before he, he died, I, I remembered that I, I said to dad, hoping he could hear me, understand me. I was holding his hand. And I said, dad, take the hand of Jesus. And I said to Jesus, I said, Jesus, take the hand of my dad and show him the way home. And he died. The rest of the family arrived and we knew that a couple hours later that the uh, funeral home director was going to come and after everybody left the room, I went back in. I just wanted to be alone there with my dad. And the words that came to mind was the words of the scriptures where we read, he's not here. He is risen. I had such peace. I think I had done most of my grieving by then. I had such peace 
when I thought of those words, he is not here. He is risen. I lingered longer in that room. I was so glad that I arrived early and I stayed late. Mary Magdalene arrived early and she stayed late. What kind of people do that? What does that mean for you and I as followers of Christ to follow in Mary's footsteps as followers of Jesus to arrive early and stay late? What kind of intensity, what kind of passion, what kind of love for Jesus does that elicit in us? I found one of dad's journals and he didn't keep many, but it was in his drawer and I just want to read a little portion of a poem. He didn't write this poem, I'm certain. But the fact that he wrote it in his journal means something to me because my grandma was an incredibly godly and praying woman. And this is what my dad wrote. Though other scenes may be forgot, well, life shall last, this one cannot. When mother prayed, O oh, peace divine, my mother's God today is mine. What else do we see about Mary? Well, she arrived early. She stayed late. It says in verse 1 that the stone was rolled away. Now, why is it important that the stone was rolled away? Was it important so that Jesus could get out of the tomb? No. Later on in the scripture, we read that Jesus appeared behind a locked door. <laughs> a couple times he did that. He didn't open the door. Jesus did not have the tombstone rolled away to get out. It was so that witnesses could get in. He wanted witnesses. Now, the Roman guards were witnesses before even Mary was a witness to that, but they were so terrified by the earthquake, and, and then they were bribed by the high priest so that they would say that his disciples came and stole the body. But Mary saw what she saw, and she ran and told the other disciples. That's what you do with radical, supernatural, miraculous tr truth. You can't keep it to yourself. You have to tell someone. Mary ran, and she told people who were as grieved as she was by Christ's death. And then they came, and in verse 11 to 13, they checked it out. And, and yet Mary stayed weeping by the tomb. And that's when it really gets amazing is that Mary is weeping just outside of the tomb, according to the scripture, and she looks in, she stoops down and looks in, and she sees two angels. She talks with the angels, and then she turns around and she sees Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus initially, until he speaks her name, Mary, and she knows that this is Jesus. She embraces him, but he says, no, don't do that yet. Now, I want you to, I want to ask this question. At this stage of the story, what is the difference between Mary's faith and Peter and John's faith? Think about it. What is the difference between Mary's faith and Peter and John's faith? They all had seen a stone rolled away and an empty tomb. But Mary had seen Christ, the risen Lord. You know, I really do think there are two kinds of Christians on the earth. 
and we have the opportunity of being one or the other. We can be content with facts about empty tombs and rolled away stones and, and all the data and believe it in our hearts and heads and be content not to meet the risen Christ. Or we can press in and press on and say, Lord, I want to know you. Like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Which kind of follower are you? The one that's just content to know stuff and believe it? Or the one that's pressing in to know him and believe him? Well, the next thing we see is that Jesus told her, go and tell the others that you've seen me. And so she runs and she tells them, and this is what is the whole service today is based on. She says, I have seen the Lord. No one and nothing could take that away from her. This experience, this encounter with Jesus, it was radical. It was life-changing. It was, I'm never going to be the same kind of an experience with a living God. He did what he said he would do. He died for her sins. He rose from the gra grave. He now was living for her, and he was going to be interceding for her the rest of her life. Now, Peter and John also saw Jesus later that day. We read in Peter, in 1 Peter, when Peter's an older man by now, and he writes in 1 Peter 1, he says, though you have not seen him, you, he's writing to the people, though you have not seen him, I have, he's thinking, though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter believed that people that hadn't seen Jesus in the flesh could still love him and follow him and believe in him because of the risen Christ that he is. John also, later, John in his life, in 1 John chapter 1, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, he says, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and with the Father. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. You see... John also was writing to a people that had not met Jesus in the flesh, but believing that they could have real fellowship, koinonia, relationship with the risen Christ. Do we believe it? Do you believe it? Day by day, you can walk with him, know him. He guides your every step. He is in every year of your decisions. He wants to be intricately, intimately acquainted with all your ways. And so these apostles, early witnesses, believe we could also have what they had. Now, let's just take a moment as we get ready to wind down here to think about some of the things that Mary teaches us. First of all, cultivate in your life, the arrive early and stay late mentality. Why don't you do that? That's what Mary did. What does it mean for us to do that? To live such a Godward life with such attentive availability, a listening ear to what God is about. If we would just hold still long enough, 
linger longer. We might have a genuine life and changing encounter with the Lord Jesus for he is alive and he wants to know you and you to know him. Secondly, cultivate the honest witness attitude toward all truth. That's what Mary did. She believed that he had died. Even when she turned and saw him, she thought he was the gardener and she asked him, tell me where you have laid him. But she was ready to receive the truth of God, though it contradicted everything she had believed in the moment. Cultivate the honest witness attitude toward all truth. You know, this is why many people, not all, but this is why many people do not believe in Jesus. They have never really checked out the truth of Christ for themselves. They hide behind popular throwaway statements that dismiss Christianity as myth cheap rhetoric that never really personally wrestles with the reality that there is a supernatural and the living Christ is king and Lord and sovereign of it all. And so they never really, really grapple with the truth. They, they, they take the cheap throwaway statements about the meaning of existence, about the purpose of our lives, and the possibility that God's real, that I'll stand before him one day. C.S. Lewis writes that any worldview has to address four fundamental questions if it's worth its salt. The first fundamental question that every worldview must address is where did we come from? The second, why is there a mess in this world? The third, is there a way out? And the fourth, what is my purpose in life? Now, friends, if you know this book, the Bible addresses all four of those questions. There are people that don't like the answers that the Bible gives if they dismiss the supernatural, if they dismiss the reality of a God, a creator, and so on. The Bible gives clear answers to these questions all the way to the, the last one of having purpose in our living. The risen Christ wants to give you the answers for these questions in your own life. One author, Wendell Phillips, said, I will utter what I believe today if it should contradict all I said yesterday. That's the attitude to come to truth with because... Knowing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not talking about relativistic truth. I'm talking about true truth. Not talking about people that say, well, this is true for me, but it's not true for you. That's, I'm talking about real truth from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Like Mary on that first Easter Sunday, it will require that you stoop down, that you examine the evidence more closely, that you get inside the evidence like Mary got inside that tomb It was opened up for her. Press in, pursue the meaning of what you find. Don't be in a hurry to rush through your time of seeking the reality of God and of Jesus. He will reward you. He will meet you. And then finally, I think we learn from Mary that, that we should cultivate the obey and act on posture. Mary met Jesus and she heard him say, go tell the others. That's the pattern, isn't it? Come and see, go and tell. 
That's the pattern. And that's always got to be the pattern. God does not want you to go and tell before you've come and seen. He doesn't want false witness. He want real witness. People that have witnessed the risen Christ. That's who he wants witnessing for him. Many Christians that are witnessing probably shouldn't. Because you see, you can't share of something you don't have. You can't tell of a Jesus you don't know personally. You can't tell of a truth you've not believed in. You can't tell of a faith you haven't exercised. And so Jesus wants witnesses. So determine that you'll press into him to know him. And God will test you in that because um, he has his ways of testing you to see if you're going to share some fresh bread with somebody or just stale moldy stuff that you learn from somebody else. A pickup line on, you know, how would you, what would you do if you died tonight and met God? And I've used those lines. I've talked to people on the plane. I've talked to my furnace man. I've talked to all kinds of people. But God wants us to have fresh bread, doesn't he? The freshness of our relationship with him. And so I would caution all of us, God wants to give that to us, daily manna, not only to meet our own need, but to meet the, the, the needs of others. Because you can say, I've seen the Lord. I've seen an answered prayer. I've seen him in the word this morning. I've seen him guide me in things I did not know. How do we learn to fold that into our lives? Now, I know it's not the same as what Mary did. Mary did not go to Pilate or Caiaphas and say, I have seen the Lord. He, she went to people who already were grieving his loss and wanted to believe that he was alive and then saw him later. So what does it mean for you and I to share, to be faithful witnesses in our world? And I like the statement I like the statement, let your spiritual life be natural and your natural life be spiritual. Just press into God and, and let God, as he deepens your real experience with the risen Christ, let him lead you to be the witness that you're meant to be because he's alive. One of the witnesses of the Nuremberg trials shared a story about a woman who gave birth to a little baby in a Jewish cemetery in Poland during the Second World War as she hid from the Nazis. There was an old man in that same graveyard that helped her give birth. And when the baby was born, the man took this little baby and held him up to the sky. And this is what he said. He said, great God, Hast thou finally sent the Messiah to us? For who else but the Messiah himself can be born in a graveyard? This man did not know that the Messiah had already come. That he'd already been through the graveyard. That he'd already conquered sin and death and was offering real life and real relationship with the living God's. And that's what you and I have to offer. I want to encourage you. Would you seek the risen Christ? Let's pray. Father, would you help us to really believe in you, the reality of your living presence, and the fact that you reward those who diligently seek you. 
for the glory of Christ. Lord God, we give you all of our praise and we give you all of our thanks. You have given us so much in your living word. You continue to give us so much through your living word. It's because you've told us in your word that you have created us and that's a fact. And Lord, it's also, we know from your word that we have been lost in our own sin and the world doesn't recognize the word sin anymore, but we know that it's a fact that we were separated from you because of our sin. And we also know that you came to this earth to save us from that sin and that you died and that you rose again. And that's a fact. It's a fact that the grave is empty. It's a fact that you have, have ascended to heaven and that you are on the throne of heaven. That's a fact. And I thank you, Lord, that you've also given us purpose, that we can have relationship with you and not just that we can talk to you, but we can hear from you and that we can also serve you and we can see you working and doing things in our life and in the world around us. We can see you changing lives and that's a fact. We thank you for all of these things, Lord. We thank you that this life has meaning now because of you. And I pray that as we go from here, that it would be with a sense of anticipation, a sense of adventure and a sense of joy, knowing that it's all about you all of our days are about you and your glory, and that's a fact. And I pray, God, that you would bless us as we go from this place, and I pray that the Easter celebrations will continue and will continue to lift your name on high because you are Lord, you have risen from the dead, and you are Lord. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.